So one day, Jesus is out teaching, as he always often was, and there's a crowd of people gathered around him. And if you've ever heard or read the stories of the Gospels, there's always a crowd of people that kind of gather around Jesus, filled with people who were far from from religion or from Judaism or from God at all, and people who uh, were, they thought were close, the religious leaders. And like it tends to happen, uh, the religious leaders are kind of at odds with Jesus. There's always this kind of run-and-gun battle with the religious leaders and Jesus. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more through the series. But on this particular occasion, uh, they, they kind of trap Jesus. They, they get him cornered, and they ask him a question, and they're trying to trip Jesus up, as they always did. And Jesus begins to debate them. He actually enters into this debate uh, and gives a reason for why there is life after death, because some religious leaders didn't believe there was life after death. They believed we're here <clears throat> for a purpose. We're here to, to kind of bring goodness to God for God's entertainment, and when we die, it's all over. So Jesus gives evidence as to why there's life after death. And then on, on this one occasion, and this could have happened other times before, but we know it definitely happened on this one occasion. There was a religious leader who was present, a teacher, who heard Jesus preaching and was just kind of awestruck by his words, just kind of taken by his words. And, and as Jesus is talking, he, gets, he almost gets inspired to, to continue to ask Jesus for more because he'd never heard anybody teach like this. He raises his hand and maybe slips his hand up in the crowd and Jesus points to him and he says, you're doing a great job and I, I love what you're saying, but, but I have a question for you. <clears throat> what is the greatest command? Out of all, I mean, there are lots of commands. Right? We have the Torah, and, the, and there's, there's all those, those commands that are in the Torah. Out of everything that's been written, out of everything that's been taught to us, Jesus, what, what's the greatest command in all of Scripture? And really what, what this, this teacher is getting at, it's really a question about priorities, isn't it? It's a question about priorities. Like, like there's a lot of important things, but not everything can be the most important thing. So, so if it's not the most important, if there's this competition in them, and it's, we've all kind of felt this way, right, where, where our values, they kind of clash with each other. We, something's important and something else is important, and then it clashes, and we have to make a, this difficult decision. Which one's most important? Which way would we go? Jesus, if there's, if there's all these values, and they all kind of stack up throughout all the Scripture, Jesus, what do you think is the most important? And if you grew up in, in church, you kind of know where, where Jesus goes with this, right? This is kind of the church answer. If you grew up in Sunday school, this is kind of the Sunday school answer. Jesus t- turns to this man asking this great question, and he starts off by saying this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes into what everyone is familiar with. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then... He kind of diverts from the script. Up to this point, everybody's rolling along with him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, of course it is. We were taught that as a kid. Yeah, see, he's absolutely right. And then he breaks from the script a little bit, and he he says this. He says, the second one, the second one is this. And when he says the second one, he's not saying the second in importance. He's not saying the second in value. He's saying, you asked me what the greatest command was. He said, but here's the thing. There's There's not one, there's two. And in the Greek, what it actually kind of infers to us here is that Jesus is literally saying that they're kind of the same. It's just second in order, not second in importance, not second in value. You ask for the greatest, here's the greatest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there is no greater command, singular. He's saying that this is one command. You, you, we're going we're gonna to try to separate it as two because that's how humans are. That's how we are as people. We want to break it apart. And he says, no, 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 they're, they're not separate. They're, they're the same. They're together. This is the one great command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
The teacher's response to this, I absolutely love it. It's, it's really quite humorous. The teacher sees Jesus as a human, as, as a fellow teacher, not, not as what, what we think him as, as, as the Son of God or the Messiah. He sees him as just another man, just another teacher, and he kind of looks at Jesus and gives him a pat on the back. It's really, it's really quite funny. He says this, Well said, teacher. It's almost like, hey, what's your name again? Jesus. Well said, Jesus. Good job. You get a pat on the Like, good job. I'm proud of you. You gave the right answer, the man replied, clearly having no idea who he's talking to. You are right. And I'm sure at this moment, Jesus is kind of smirking. Of course I'm right. I'm Jesus. <clears throat> You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And the teacher, it's almost like, like he's beginning to say, you're saying the stuff that I've been thinking and I've been praying and it's kind of been pondering in my heart for years and years and years. And finally, I found somebody who agrees with me, who feels the same way that I feel. This is awesome. And then he begins to kind of emote on this. He continues. He says, well, to love him with all your heart, to love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I, I, I've thought about these things, and Jesus, you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't even know who you are. I mean, really, that's, that's kind of what he's, he's saying. I think of you as, as a person, as a human, but, but in, in the end, you're going to reveal yourself to be the one, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. I, I, I agree with you. Without even realizing, I, I'm aligning with your value system and your priorities. He actually says this, there is nothing more important. There, there is nothing more important. These two things that you mentioned, Jesus, all of the other values, all of the other teachings, all of the other things that we've been taught our whole life through the Torah, through the practice of our faith and, and, and religion, through everything that we find value in, nothing is more important than him. All the burnt offerings, all the sacrifices, everything, none of that is more important than loving God and loving your neighbor. And the man's beginning to identify. He's beginning to walk down a path. He doesn't know where it's headed yet, but he's on the track. He's on a path. He's headed in the right direction. When Jesus heard this man's answer, when he saw the path that he was on, and he knew that if you keep, if you keep walking this path, if you keep down this, this same like, like logic that you're walking down, you're going to end up at a place that will completely transform your life. When Jesus saw the man's answer, he said to him, and, and I imagine, we don't know this for a fact, but I, I kind of like to see the Gospels as a story. I imagine Jesus kind of leaned in and maybe even called the man out of the crowd and got him where, where not the whole audience could hear him, just the man could hear him. And he just whispered in his ear, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Which means the kingdom of God is not far from you. For the next few weeks, I want to tell you a story. It's a true story, and it's a story that should have died in Nero's Rome. It's a story of the Jesus of Nazareth, as told by one of his apostles, one of his most famous apostles, Simon Peter. You guys remember Peter. Peter is, is kind of the loud, the brazen disciple. He's, he's the oldest of the disciples, and he's just kind of that, that type A, driven and aggressive kind of guy. <clears throat> For years and years, Peter traveled around the Mediterranean Rim, traveled around the empire, telling this story of Jesus for 30 years. Peter spent three years with Jesus when he was on earth doing his ministry, and then for 30 years, he traveled around telling this story over and over and over and over again. And it's almost like you'd get, you'd imagine, you'd get sick of hearing it, right? You get, you get sick of telling it over again, but everywhere he goes, people want to know his story. They want to know what it was like. They want to know what it was like to be with Jesus. And he'd go into a town and somebody would ask, hey, Peter, Peter, would you tell us what it was like to be with Jesus when he wasn't talking to the crowd? 
What was he like, like when nobody else was around? Do you remember that time when? Do you remember that time? Would you just tell us that time when? And he would just tell the story over and over and over again. On this particular occasion, he's telling his story. And what's interesting is as he's walking through his story, Peter's story isn't a very proud story. As we're going to see as we kind of dive into this gospel and as we read through other gospels, Peter's story is quite an embarrassing story. Over and over and over again, Peter misses it and he makes mistakes and he falls short. And he's recounting this story. And you almost have to wonder, why would he recount this story? Because his story is part of the greatest story ever told. It's part of the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus who came and taught and began to present the gospel in ways that would transform the world. Peter's now in his 50s. He's imprisoned in Rome, in Nero's Rome. And, you know, when you're imprisoned in Nero's Rome, the outcome doesn't look good. It's, it's like, like it's, it's going to end and it can end at any moment. So you almost get, almost get this feeling as he's walking through his story that there is this urgency in him. I've got to get it out. He, he begins to tell his story with this, with this like, uh, this is the last time I'm going to get to do this. This is the last opportunity I have to tell you, to share my story of what it was like to be with Jesus. But he's not sharing it to an audience of many. He's sharing it to an audience of one, his travel companion, John Mark. This is known as Mark's gospel. And we get the feeling that, that Mark understands the value of Peter's story. Peter, I, this isn't just a story for your generation or my generation. This is a story for generation to come and generation after generation. You have firsthand experience with the Messiah, with, 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 with the Son of God. We need to know what it was like. You need to tell me. And I'm going to write it all down as fast as I possibly can. When we get into this, it's really interesting because you begin to see that Peter wasn't an educated man. We know that. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't taught to write or, or to read well. In, in, in his area of the world, uh, um, <clears throat> learning to read or write took time, and, and it took practice, and there was no time to practice. He may have been able to read a little, but, read a little, but we're pretty confident he didn't know how to write because writing was expensive. Getting writing supplies was, was expensive. It took time to practice, and that was not something Peter had time to do. So Peter recites his story. And not being an educated man, he didn't sit through, and, and you're going to see as we read through this, it's, it's, not, it's not chronologically together. It's kind of completely out of order. It just jumps from one thing to the next thing, and certain stories have, have, have incredible detail, and other stories have no detail. And at some point, it's like he starts a story, and then he stops, and he goes into something else, and then he comes back to the story. It's, it's really chaotic because of it being out of order chronologically. But you get this idea. It's, it's the heart of a storyteller, the heart of a fisherman. And I just want you to know what it was like for me when I was with Jesus, when I walked with Jesus, when I saw him do these things. And Mark coaxes the story out of Peter one more time. Peter, just one more time, would you tell me the story? Would you tell me what it was like to be with Jesus? Would you tell me what it was like to walk with him and talk with him? We know all those other fascinating stories, but we want to know your view from your eyes. What was it like? The memories, the conversations, all the parables. One more time, Peter, would you give us the story? And Mark begins to write. Now, as we walk through the, the text that we're going to read this morning, as we walk through it together, <clears throat> if you've walked away from faith, you really need to hear this part. It may be, maybe you checked out of faith at some point in your life, or you, you went when you were a kid and then you didn't go anymore. Maybe you're considering stepping out now. What I say next is really important for you to hear this. As we're walking through this, we're not walking through the Bible. Mark wasn't writing the Bible. The Bible wasn't even an idea then. He was walking through the story of a man who experienced Jesus. 
He doesn't know what the future is going to hold. He doesn't know that thousands of years later, all these stories are going to be compiled into a book and it's going to make its way throughout the world in every known language. He has no idea. When he's writing this, he's simply writing the story of a man who walked and talked and experienced Jesus firsthand. And he writes with an urgency. And Peter almost tells his story with an urgency. As a matter of fact, when he starts his story, he starts at the end. He starts at the end of his story, and it's like, here's, here's what I want you to know, Mark, but before we go any further, I have no idea how much time I have. We're in Nero's Rome. I'm imprisoned. At any point, he can come, and he can, he can pull me away and have me beheaded. I don't know how much time I have, so in case I don't get to finish my story, I, 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 want, you, I want to begin with the end. I want to begin with what's, what's most important. Don't miss this part. There's going to be parts of Peter's story as we walk through it. As modern-day critics, we're going to roll our eyes and we're going to say, Peter, really? Like, hold on. Like, you really believe that? You, you really, you, you really w- want to go there? You really kind of walk through that? You, you really want to believe these things? And Peter would say, yeah, I, I do. And, and here's why. Because this isn't something that, was, that, that was, I read in a book. This isn't something I read on a page somewhere. This isn't something I read. As a matter of fact, this isn't even something that was told to me. This isn't like, like a fairy tale or a good night story or, or a story from generation and generations past that was passed down the line. This isn't something I read or something I was told. I, I believe this and I want you to know it because this is something I saw with my own two eyes. It is something I experienced and I want you to experience too. If you would just give me a moment of your time, if you would just, just check in on this story, you would see it's not somebody who's trying to convince you to believe something he doesn't believe. It's way beyond belief. As a matter of fact, when I walked through it, I didn't believe myself. But I saw and I experienced something that changed my life. And if you would give it a moment, it could change yours too. So now, back to the story. He starts off, Mark, I I want you to know where we're going to go, and I'm going to go, if I'm going to begin my story with the end. Here's what I want everyone to go. If I don't have enough time, make sure you get this part down and make sure everybody hears this. The beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and even right up front, we even have to take a step back and say, seriously, hold on, Peter. You're going to start there? You're telling me the guy you followed around with three years, the teacher, the, like, the, the rabbi, you believe that this guy, that, that you, know, you saw the good days and you saw his bad days, you're, you're really going to tell me that the guy that you traveled around with with three years who you saw die, you think he's the Son of God? Like, Peter, are, are you sure? And I think for a moment, Peter would smile and say, am I sure? Am am I sure? Of course I'm sure. I I was there. I was there when they hurled insults at him. He would say this later, or actually earlier in his life, as he wrote this to a group of Christians. I was there when they hurled insults at him. He didn't retaliate. I retaliated. He didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. I wanted to make threats. He made none. I was there. I watched with my own two eyes. I experienced. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself. And Peter's going to ask us to do this later on. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Guys, I was there when he was arrested. I I watched. He didn't fight. He didn't. I fought. He didn't push back. He corrected me for fighting. He just entrusted himself to the will of his heavenly father. Am I sure? I'm so sure because when it started, I didn't believe. 
<clears throat> when they arrested him and they began to persecute him, I, I, I walked away. I ran away. And, and sitting there on the outside of the crowd, watching him hang on a cross with tears streaming down my face, I thought, that's it. All hope is lost. All hope is gone. I, I've been deceived. Everything I, tr- I did for the last three years traveling around with this man, it's over with. Am I sure? Of course I'm sure. Because I was there and I saw he himself bore our sins. He bore all of our sins. He he bore your sins. He bore my sins. He took the weight of the world and him who was without sin took on all of our sin. I saw it. There was no reason. He didn't have to. He was wrongly accused. He wasn't guilty of anything that they convicted him of. I was there. And I saw as he bore his sins, our sins, and his body on the cross. Am I sure? Because I, I can't tell you how sure I am. I've given my life to it. Yes, I watched him die. But then I watched new life. I had dinner. I had breakfast. I saw him live again. And then he made a promise to me that I've spent the rest of my life looking forward to. And here's the promise. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Am I sure? Yeah, I am absolutely sure. Peter, it, it looks like we're losing. We're in the empire, and there's Nero's Rome, and he's, he, he's arresting Christians, and he's, he's crucifying them, and he's feeding them to lions in the Colosseum, and, and, and like this horrible persecution. It looks like we're losing. No, man, we're not losing. I've seen it. We're winning. I've devoted my life to this, and for 30 years, I traveled around, and I told his story, and, and people all over the world, men, women, children, all over the known world, they're beginning to meet in the mornings and in the afternoons, worshiping this resurrected Savior, Jesus, my rabbi, my teacher, the man I've devoted my, my life to telling his story. They're now gathering, and, and, and they're singing praise, and they're, and they're learning and understanding his story. The message, it's spreading everywhere. Am I sure? I am absolutely sure. I've never been more sure of anything in my life. And then he would say, well, now let me get back to the story. One of the first times I heard Jesus teach was from my boat. I'm a fisherman. That's what I do. And instead of describing this incident, Peter just kind of skips over it. Now, we, we know enough detail from other Gospels to kind of look in and see what happens, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, but Peter jumps right over this incident because he, want, he wants to get to something of sincere importance. He, he wants to jump into to, to Jesus' kind of bottom line for being on earth, for, for coming to planet earth. He skips the story of his first interaction, how we first met Jesus, and he jumps right to, to this, this bottom line. And this is a little bit challenging for us because when we read through the Gospels, we read through the, the Gospels kind of devotionally, don't we? We read through, and really what we're looking for is application, right? We want to read through the scriptures. We want to know, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? So we take a part, and we just see, what do I have to do? Or we read through it for inspiration. God, I'm just, I'm feeling a little down, and I need to be encouraged, and I just need something to lift me up. Just give me a little word to lift me up. Or maybe we read through it kind of for direction. I have a big decision to make, and I'm not really sure what to do. So God, I'm just going to open and kind of read a page, and hopefully something jumps out at me and gives me an answer so I know which way to go. We do that. We don't like to read the story as kind of the whole story. As a matter of fact, the only stories we really kind of read through as a whole are stories in the Old Testament where they're kind of condensed to like two or three chapters and we can get through it in one quick bit. But, but what Peter wants to get to is this whole overarching story of Jesus, this, this whole big story, this, this big picture of what Jesus came to do. 
Because when, when we interpret it, we interpret things a little differently. As a matter of fact, and this isn't a knock against anybody. I'm going to point the finger at myself. <clears throat> if, if you were to ask me when I was a child, maybe even in college, I grew up in a, in a, a church where we were taught this, and, and you may feel the same way. Somebody were to ask me, hey, hey what's, what's, the, what's the message of, of Christianity? Like, like what is, what is the, the good news? What is the message of Christianity? I would say something like, well, you know, Jesus came and he died for my sins and he rose again. And if I believe in him, I can go to heaven and avoid hell. Oh, and, you know, and, and while I'm here, I guess I got to be a good boy or a good man or a good college student or a good husband or a good father. I've, I've got to try to do some good. But yeah, like, like that's the message. I, I, I've got I've to kind of roll with, with, with this. I've got to kind of do, like, do my part and, and I believe in him and then I can get to heaven and it's all good. And it's like that's, that's a little bit of an idea, but that's not the big idea. There's a bigger idea here. There's the whole story. And if we look at things kind of in segments, that, that might be what we leave Scripture with. As a matter of fact, if you were to say that to Peter, hey, Peter, I don't need to know the story. I don't need to know Jesus' bottom line. I've read ahead. I know the bottom line. You know, he's going to die. He's going to raise again. And if we believe in him, we all get to heaven and we're good. And I think Peter would look at us like, man, you were crazy. And he would look at us like we're crazy because, <clears throat> because it, not that it's not true. Everything we said was true. But he would look at us because we're crazy because that's not the point. And, and he wants you to know up front, like, like what you're going to talk about, and he's not going to say this up front because that's towards the end of the story of Jesus. That, that even the death and the resurrection of Jesus is just kind of the capstone. It's just an illustration of what Jesus came to introduce, of this message that Jesus came to do. And, and don't miss, hear me here. This, what Jesus did is absolutely important, and believing in him is absolutely critical to our faith. And it has this eternal component of, of heaven and, and what's, what some would experience as hell. Like, there is absolutely an eternal component, but Peter would say, but you're missing it. As a matter of fact, when Jesus traveled around and, and, and preached, he didn't talk about that, because here's the kicker. That hadn't happened yet. So he takes a step back and he says, oh, okay, Mark, let, let's start at the beginning. He says, and John, and he's talking in this reference now about John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went up into Galilee. Now, we're going to uh, reference a map for this, and I think it's important for you to kind of get an idea uh, of where we are in this. So <clears throat> this is uh, the, the Sea of Galilee's up here. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. Over here is the Mediterranean Sea. Everyone kind of get your bearings? You, you know where we're at with this? Okay, that's good. So here's Jerusalem, if you can't see it back there, and up here is Capernaum. So John the Baptist, he baptized, this is the Jordan River, somewhere around here is where he did his baptism. And if you lived in Jerusalem, you could make it out to where he baptized in a day, but you wouldn't get there until it was late at night. Like it was a long trek you had to walk. So John the Baptist is out here, he's preaching, he, he's, he's kind of initiating this news about Jesus coming, and then he, he gets imprisoned by Herod arrests him, he put, put in prison. And the prison is out here in the desert somewhere. Jesus get, get, kind of catches wind of this, and he begins to travel from where he was down here all the way up around this, this area of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee up near Capernaum. Jesus begins to travel, and John, Peter, rather, he's letting us know that when Jesus hears what happened to John, he makes his way up to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And again, if we were to ask, hey, what's the good news of God? Our default answer would be, well, Jesus came, and he died for our sins, and he rose again, and now if we believe in him, we get to heaven. But Jesus couldn't travel around preaching that because none of that had happened yet. No one would believe. You're right here. You didn't die. Nothing, none of that happened. So what's the good news of God? John's going to let us know. Rather, Peter's going to let us know. What is it? What's the bottom line? Why has Jesus come? 
And why did he spend so much time traveling up from the Dead Sea up to the Sea of Galilee and to all the towns and all the villages and up to Capernaum? Why would he travel preaching this message? What's the message? Here's what it is. And Peter heard this over and over and over. This was like, like, you know how some preachers, they just have a message they just can't get away from. They just keep going back to that message. This was Jesus' message over and over and over. He just kept preaching this over and over and over. And here's the message. <clears throat> the time has come. The, the time that you've been waiting for, the time that your ancestors have been waiting for, all the Old Testament scriptures what to them was their holy scriptures. All of that was pointing to this moment. All of the prophets was pointing to this moment. All, all, of, all of Judaism, all, all, everything, everywhere was all pointing to this moment in history. This is, this is the time. This is the moment. The time is now. The time has come, Jesus said. Everything's pointing here. The kingdom of God has come near. That's the message. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Which means you're not far from it. God's kingship. I mean, that, that's the way when we look at this word, the, the kingdom of God, that's how we have to understand it. It's God's kingship. It's his, his right to rule. It's his kingdom. And he's bringing his kingdom. Wherever the king goes, the kingdom comes with it. And Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom has come near. You need to understand what, what, what I'm bringing in, what I'm initiating is this, this new kingdom, this new way of viewing things with a new king who's going to turn everything that was upside down. It's going to look completely different. The way it was before, and you might struggle with it because you, you grow up teach, like learning these teachings and understanding things a certain way. This is the time where everything's going to shift and everything's going to turn around. This was the old and something new has come. This was the message. This was the good news. The kingdom of God has come near and it is a kingdom without borders. It's a kingdom without a common language. It's a kingdom without a common ancestry. It's a kingdom that's based on this, this, this future event. But the future is now, right? Jesus is here right now. And everything pointed to this moment. This is the fulfillment of all the scripture, of all the prophecies. It's a kingdom of the heart. It's a, it's a kingdom of the conscience. It's a kingdom of conscience that was informed by a brand new kind of king who was going to turn the world upside down and change the order of things. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. <clears throat> a kingdom where the priorities are going to shift. A, ki a kingdom where even the king who came to introduce it would eventually give his life as a sacrifice for many, instead of demanding his life, as, a, as demanding the lives of his followers, as a sacrifice for him. That even Jesus' death and resurrection would punctuate this brand new kind of kingdom that he came to introduce. And through his death and through his resurrection, he, he said, I would in, bring about this, this brand new covenant. It's a brand new kind of covenant. It, it, it's a brand new way of thinking. And, and before you kind, of, you kind of lose your mind with this, and I'm sure Peter just kind of had so much difficulty grappling with this because in his mind, Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God and he's thinking, but wait a minute, isn't the kingdom of God the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus is like, no, 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 it's, 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 it's way bigger than that. So Peter's already confused. Jesus, I don't even know where you're going with this. Well, you will. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's a new kingdom with a new king and a brand new covenant. And this new covenant, this is, this is so radical. It's, it's bigger than you, ever than you ever thought. It's bigger than you could ever imagine. 
it's bigger than the kingdom of Israel. And then along with this brand new kind of kingdom, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus gives us kind of like these two stipulations, two things you have to do to, to be a part of this brand new kind of kingdom. But, but they're, they're so radical. When, when you hear or when the first century audience heard it, you would never believe, you would never follow along, you would never do these things until you see the end of the story, until the story has been completed with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom has come. Sorry, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And what do you have to do? What's, what's the demand on the audience? Jesus would say, repent and believe the good news. Repent, 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 and believe the good news. And when we hear repent, if you're anything like me, your mind kind of goes to, to like, you know, old prophets that are just kind of like, you know, throwing their fist in the air and slamming desks. Repent, repent, repent. You shall not pass until you repent. Anybody get that yet? You'll get it in a minute. You'll laugh later. And that's one version of repent. Peter said that, but that's not the version Jesus is talking about. You see, that version was John the Baptist. John the Baptist came, and you remember his story, right? Something greater than me is coming, something greater than the world has ever known, and you've got to get ready. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins and get ready. And then Jesus shows up, the greater thing that John was referring to. And he's saying repent. But what he's saying is, here's, here's how I want you to view it. I, 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 this isn't just like, God, forgive me for my sins, which you should ask for God to forgive you for your sins. But what I really want is for you to repent of the way you've been traveling down this road that leads to, to ultimate destruction. And I want you to change your worldview. I, I want you to shift your thinking. I want you to shift from this old kingdom and align with this new kingdom that I'm bringing, this new way of thinking, this new worldview, this, this new way of, of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving people, loving your neighbors, yourself. That's the kind of thinking I want you to have. So repent of walking this way and change direction and start walking this way. Start following me even now before I die and before I get resurrected. Follow me into this new way of thinking, this new kind of world order, this new way of things, this new kingdom that will be capsuled with a brand new covenant. Follow me into this. Repent and believe the good news. And when he gets to this word believe, he uses this Greek word pistio, and it's, it's, it's more than just, I want you to, to believe. I want you to kind of believe it in your heart. He said, no, no, it's, it's much more than just that kind of belief. I want you to give yourself to it. I want you to surrender yourself to it. I want you to be kind of all in and, and submit to it, submit to that way of thinking. I want you to believe, but really, I want you to surrender to it. And Peter's thinking when he's hearing this, is this just for us? Is this just for me? Like, I thought this was just for the nation of Israel. But after spending three years with Jesus and hearing Jesus talk over and over and over again, what became so painfully clear to them is that, no, no, this is, this is way bigger than you. This is way bigger than Galilee. It's way bigger than just the kingdom of Israel. Jesus kind of opened, like, and opened and opened and opened the gates so that everybody Everybody could make their way in. As a matter of fact, that was one of the key principles of this new kingdom. Everybody is participated. Everybody's invited to participate in it. Everybody's invited into this brand new kingdom, to this brand new thing that Jesus is doing. It's way bigger than just you. It's way bigger than just me. Everybody. 
perhaps at this point, Mark kind of interrupts. He says, Peter, that's all good. And, and I'm, I'm glad we know that. That's important. We know the, the, the bottom line. We know where Jesus is going. But, <clears throat> but tell us about you. I mean, you spent three years with Jesus. How, like, how did it start? Where did you meet Jesus? And I just imagine Peter kind of sitting back, kind of smiling, you know, in his 50s. It's, he's just telling stories to a young guy. They've been traveling around for like two or three years. Oh, I remember that day. I'll never forget that day. It was, it was just like any other day, right? I'm out in my boat. <clears throat> I'm out in my boat, and Jesus, <clears throat> he walk, he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee. That's where my home is, right? That's where I live. And he saw Simon. That's me. So we're going to read it like Peter. He's walking beside the Sea of Galilee where, where I live, and he saw me, and he saw my brother Andrew, and we were casting it into the lake, and, and the reason we were casting it into the lake, Mark, is because we were just fishermen. We weren't smart. We weren't educated. We had nothing to offer. We were just fishermen. And Jesus walks by, and then he, he makes this in, in, incredible command. And in, in the eyes of Peter, here's how the story went. Jesus walks up and he says, come, follow me. And I will send you out, Peter, to fish for people. <clears throat> and Peter just kind of smiles and looks at Mark and he says, you know what we did? We just dropped our nets and followed him. And I'm sure at this point, Mark, having heard the story many times, kind of smiles like, come on, Peter, you're being humble. There's more to the story, right? We know from Luke's gospel, there's so much more to the story because before you decided to drop your nets and follow Jesus, you took Jesus fishing and something radical happened. And Peter kind of smiles and, no, no, but we're not going to get into that. Now, that, that story is not important. Jesus is important. Not my story, his story. And you see, he wasn't just done with me. As a matter of fact, he, he continued to walk and he ran into to some people. <clears throat> he had gone a little farther and he saw some of my friends. He saw James. And for a moment, I think Peter must have stopped and, and kind, of gr kind of came to grips with what happened in his life. Because about 20 years earlier, this is James, his friend, another fisherman from the same town growing up together. James, another disciple of Jesus, was arrested by Herod and was executed by Herod. And this isn't Herod the great son, Herod Agrippa. And, and what must have been hard for Peter is, is right around that time that happened, right after James was arrested and James was executed and all the, the anti-Christians and all the anti-new like religious sect, this new way sect, everybody who was against that just rejoiced. Finally, somebody did it. Not only did you kill Jesus, now you're killing his apostles. This is amazing. And then Peter gets arrested. And Peter's assuming the same thing the rest of the Christian community is assuming. Well, if Herod killed James, he's surely going to kill me. And then somehow Peter is miraculously released from prison. And for the rest of his life, he, he just sits and he wonders about his friend James. Why him? Why not me? Why me? And why not him? And as he's recounting this story to Mark, the, the, the pain of kind of the mysteries of life begin to set in. But, but it doesn't undermine his faith. His faith is strong in his faith. He still believes because he spent time, no matter how hard it was. You see, he, he wasn't asked to, <clears throat> to just believe in the kingdom. He was asked to submit to it, to, to, to dive into it, to give it all up for it. I don't understand it. I, I may never understand it. But I will believe Jesus traveled along and he ran into one of my friends, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat. They're preparing their nets because Mark, the fisherman too. <clears throat> Without delay, he called them. And I'm sure there's more of a story here than this. He called them and their father Zebedee, <clears throat> they left their father Zebedee in a boat 
with the hired men and they followed him. They just up and walked away. Peter keeps going. Peter could have added, guys, Jim Park, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. I mean, how could we? How could we have any idea? We had no idea at all. But the king had come. And the king asked me to follow. What else were we to do? They went with Jesus. They began to travel up to that area of Capernaum, right up to the Jordan, around the Sea of Galilee, up to the top, the north end of it where Capernaum was. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. And this wasn't unfamiliar for them. This was, this was part of their life. This is how they, they, they were raised. You go into the synagogue and a, a rabbi, a teacher teaches. But this was their synagogue. They were from a small town outside of Capernaum, probably too small to have their own synagogue. So when they went to worship, they came to this synagogue, to this church. They knew everybody. They were familiar with the synagogue and the rabbis and the teachers and the people in the synagogue. As a matter of fact, I can kind of imagine Peter walking in and there, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's Matthew and there, there's James and there's John and, and they're all kind of gathering. And Peter's like, yeah, I know him. I dated her and I know her like, he, you know, my brother dated her. That family's kind of crazy. Like they're just familiar. It's this small town where everybody knows everybody. And now Peter's kind of walking in as this, this first century hero almost. Like he gets to travel around with Jesus all the time. Jesus walks in. The teachers kind of recognize there's this man. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. Why don't you speak to us today? Jesus gets up and he begins to teach. And then he almost like Peter was saying, Mark, this was so amazing. It was so unbelievable. But here's the thing. It wasn't just unbelievable to me. you got to write this part down. The people who heard him teach, they were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. you got to understand, we, we grew up hearing the Torah every single day. As a matter of fact, some of us memorized big portions of the Torah. We've, we'd heard it our whole life. But when he stood up to teach, it was like we were hearing it for the very first time because he taught as one who had authority. Not as the teachers of, of the law. Not as, as the people who used to teach. This was different. There was something unique about this man. And that's why I followed. Sure enough, news about him spread quickly all over the whole region of Galilee. And so the story of Jesus began. I don't know what kind of religion you grew up with. I don't know what kind of religion... Uh, you were a part of, maybe at home, maybe you're sitting at home and you've never been a part of any religion at all. I mean, how can I know that? I don't know what kind of version of, of, of Christianity you were exposed to. But here's what I do know. That, that if at some point in, in your life you, you experienced a version of Christianity that wasn't good, or you were a part of a version of Christianity that, that, that you just had to walk away from because it seemed toxic and bad, and, and you were, you just, it, it was so easy to not believe because the version you had was just, it was, seemed so dreadful. Here's the thing. You didn't have Peter's version. Because Peter's version of the good news, what he wants you to know up front, was that the arrival of Jesus was good news. That's how he starts off. The be in the beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. So if you grew up with a version that wasn't good news, if, if you kind of left that version, Peter would actually say, if you were a part of it and you kind of walked away because it didn't seem good or, or it was so easy to just stop believing and move away from, or it, it just seemed like, like everything else out there was more important than what you had here, he would say, just give me a moment and let me tell you about my experience with the good news. Because if you saw my version, if you experienced my version, you wouldn't walk away. You wouldn't check out. You wouldn't stop believing. Because my version was so good, it inspired me to live the rest of my life, telling the rest of the world about it. 
And yes, I would be arrested. And yes, I'd be persecuted. I'd be beaten for my faith. There were points in my life where I was running for my life. But I wouldn't trade a single day of it. That may have not been the outcome I wanted, but I wouldn't trade a single day of it because that good news changed the world. And it can change your world if you let it. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. What do we have to do? We have to repent. We have to change our way of thinking. We have to change our, our, this old worldview and adopt this new worldview that the king has come to initiate. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The story of Jesus is just beginning. I hope you join us next time for part two of Far You're Not Far.